chapter 14. And this is what I feel like that the Lord wants me to share with you. And this is one of the most radical statements that Jesus ever made in John chapter 14. And if you understand the context of it, it makes it even more radical. And I'm wanting to bring this out and show you that this is so off the charts from the way that people think today that most of us, if this was taken out of the Scriptures, and if Jesus was just to walk in here tonight and say this to us, most of us would reject this because this is not the way most people think. And this is precisely one of the reasons that we aren't seeing the blessings of God manifest in our life the way that they should is because we've got a wrong attitude. You know, the Scripture says, Proverbs 23, 7, as you think in your heart, that's the way that you are. And we've got thinking. We've accepted values and ways of dealing with things today that are contrary to what the Word of God says, and it precludes us walking in the blessing and, the, and the, all of the things that God has for us. So here in John chapter 14, in verse 1, Jesus said, "...let not your heart be troubled." You believe in God, believe also in me. And let me just point out that you know what? That, what he's saying is that we should not let our heart be upset, sad, discouraged, worry. It's a command. You know, if you were to diagram this sentence where you have to have a subject and a verb and an object, all of these things. Did you know that this, this uh, sentence doesn't have a subject? You would have to put in you as the understood, subject, uh, the understood subject of this. You let not your heart be troubled. It's a direct command from God not to let your heart be troubled. Let me just ask you. I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but I'm just wanting you to do this on the inside. How many of you have let things get to you? How many, I, I told you not to raise your hand. You weren't listening. How many of you have let something just worry you? That you stay up at night. And I mean, it could be uh, financial. It could be relational. It could be your job. It could be your future. You know, when a lot of people reach what they call midlife crisis, it's my personal opinion that all of that is, that people who have basically been doing their own thing and just out enjoying their youth and sowing their wild oats and not really thinking about the future, they hit about midlife and they realize, oops, I'm about halfway through, <laughs> amen. And what have I accomplished? And where am I going? And you know, midlife crisis, all I believe it is, is your heart being troubled because all of a sudden you begin to realize that, man, I've... I've Finished half my life, and what have I accomplished, and where am I going? And people sit there and put it off on hormones and try and blame it on anything and everything, but that's not true. I really believe it is a mental thing when you just begin to start uh, grappling with things. And every one of us, at some time or another, have let our heart be troubled, and yet Jesus told us not to let our heart be troubled. You know, with me, personally... I, I, it may not be this way for everybody, but with me, I have exercised my faith and I've seen myself healed. I've seen God establish the ministry. I've seen finances come in. I'm seeing my dreams come to pass. And you know, my life is really blessed and I'm doing good. And yet I still struggle with trying to keep my heart from being troubled when I look at the world. I mean, it looks like we're losing. 
in a lot of ways. It looks like that, man, people are just going berserk and weird. And, um, I mean, people are... I, I won't go into all of the details. You can fill in the blanks. I'm sure that every one of you have seen this if you ever watch the news or listen to stuff. I mean, there's just a lot of weirdness going on. And so I have to... I just taught on this in Phoenix a few weeks ago about how to stay positive in the midst of a negative world. And it takes effort. Even if everything's going good in your life, we live in a fallen, corrupted world. And if you look around, there's just a lot of things that we could let our heart be troubled over. We could let our heart be troubled over all the financial stuff, all of this bailout, all of the uh, trillions and trillions of dollars worth of debt. I guarantee you that's going to come back to bite us. If you sit down and think about that, you could let your heart be troubled. Matter of fact, I saw a bumper sticker where it says, if you aren't, uh, I forgot what it said, if you aren't troubled or, anyway, that's the point. If you aren't troubled, you aren't paying attention. (laughs) And I guarantee you, there is plenty of stuff going on that you could let your heart be troubled. And yet Jesus made this bold statement and he commanded his disciples and he says, don't let your heart be troubled. And you've got to put this in the context. If you're familiar with these scriptures, in the 13th chapter is where he had the Last Supper, where he knelt down and washed his disciples' feet. And then he spoke these words right before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane and wrestled, and his own heart was troubled. He says that he was uh, exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. And for about an hour or so, he wrestled with this and he pled with his father that if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But once he knew that this was the only way to accomplish the will of the father, then he reconciled himself to it. And and he didn't go into the cross uh, crying or whimpering. If you read Isaiah chapter 50, it tells you exactly what he was thinking when he went to the cross. And he says, where is my adversary? Let him come near. Let us take hold together and... Man, he went in and he had reconciled. He only went through a brief period of time where he allowed his heart to be troubled. He was human and he dealt with this. And yet in this context, this is the night before his crucifixion. He is speaking to his disciples and he's specifically preparing them for when they see him crucified. And for three days, he's going to be in the tomb. And, you know, as we read this, none of his disciples remembered all of the prophecies. He had prophesied 14 different times, and I think seven of those he specifically talked about not only his death, but seven of them he talked about, I will rise again. And he even made it very clear that the resurrection would be on the third day. So he had already prophesied all of these things to him, and yet none of his disciples remembered this. You know the only people that remembered that Jesus was prophesied that he would rise from the dead? You know who they were? The Pharisees. The people that were unbelievers. They remembered his prophecies and so they went and got these soldiers to guard the tomb lest his disciples come and say that they had stolen away the body. But his own disciples, they were so overcome with grief that they forgot the promises. You know, like Brother Dave was singing in that one song about it won't be long till all these troubles are over. The Lord told us all of these things and yet we, get, we forget all of this and we get so caught up in the moment and in the situation that we're in that sometimes we we lose our perspective, we don't put it into its proper context, and we let our heart be troubled. He was saying this to his disciples the night before his crucifixion. And you know, let me just point this out, that most people today 
We have been so influenced by psychology and the thinking of this world that today, if you sit there and tell somebody who's in a terrible situation to don't let your heart be troubled, man, God's going to bring you through this. You are going to win. And if you start in trying to encourage a person and tell them to hold on and stand strong, did you know that the average Christian today would come out against you and criticize you and say you're insensitive and you don't understand that we're just human and that we have these problems and that you aren't, you're being too tough and too hard on a person. Is that true? I guarantee you that's the way that the vast majority of people would, would approach this. And yet, Jesus, the night before His crucifixion, and it says in the 13th chapter, He knew all things that would happen unto Him. So Jesus was totally informed. If you remember, He went up on the Mount of Transfiguration and He had Moses and Elijah appear to Him and they talked to Him about His crucifixion and about His death and what would take place. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen and yet He told His disciples, don't let your heart be troubled. Most of us would think that's unreasonable. Most of us would think, oh, God would never do that. Most of us, when you feel pain or something, we have been taught to give in to it. We have been taught to vent and let this out and don't hide your emotions. Amen. You know, this is a men's group. And I bet you that most men, when they meet together are probably going to say things about you need to be more sensitive and you need to be you need to let this out and you need to quit holding things in. I'm telling you that praise God there's some things you need to bury. There's some things you don't need to vent. Now there's a balance between this. I'm not telling you that you just become stoic and act like nothing happens. God knows that you know we have emotions he gave them to us. I'm not saying that you deny all of this. I don't deny that I have emotions, but I do deny emotions ruling and dominating and controlling my life. And one of those emotions that I fight against is being troubled. Let me say it this way. I believe that when you worry and are troubling, that basically it's an insult to God who has promised that He would never leave you nor forsake you, that He would always be with you He's promised that the work that He began in you, that He would perform it until the day of the Lord Jesus. This is the victory that overcomes the world. Jesus came to give us life and to give it to us more abundantly and on and on and on and on you could go. Man, the Lord has said that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. I don't care what it is that's bothering you. There is an antidote for it. There is an answer for it in Scripture. And when we allow our heart to become troubled, then we are, in a sense, insulting God. Whether it's intentional or whether it's by neglect, we are more focused on the problem. We are glorifying and putting more effort into the problem than we are the promise that God has given us. Amen? And the Lord told us not to let our heart be troubled. And this was to His disciples the night before His crucifixion. They were going to go through this terrible thing where not only is the one that they loved, it looked like Jesus was just a man. They were expecting Him to establish the kingdom. They even asked this. They said, are you going to establish the kingdom now? Because they could see this thing coming to a head. And they knew that the Pharisees were out to kill Him. And they thought that, man, if push came to shove, that then is when He would establish His kingdom. They didn't understand the crucifixion and the resurrection. They missed this somehow. And so 
they didn't understand what was going to happen. And during the time in between the crucifixion and the resurrection, from their perspective, it looked like Jesus was only a man. That Jesus was beat. That Jesus lost. And not only had the one that they had had their hopes in and their faith in look like he had been beaten, but then their life was on the line. They could have been taken. They could have been crucified. They could have been punished. And then all of the things that they had sacrificed. Many of these had businesses. They had wives. They had families. And they had given up everything for three years and had been serving the Lord. And I mean, all of their hopes were just basically dashed. When Jesus was crucified, it was like a thousand times worse than anything that's happened to any of us in here. I really believe that. And plus, if you factor in the fact that these were the people upon whom God was going to build their church, and the Scripture shows that Satan comes against the precious life, that he seeks those who are in leadership positions, and there is an even greater, more intense fight against them. When you factor all of these things together, I guarantee you every demon out of hell was focused on this crucifixion and the resurrection and trying to destroy the foundations of the church. They had terrible demonic opposition and it was just a bad, bad situation. And Jesus, knowing that every bit of this was going to happen, said, don't let your heart be troubled. Most of us would say, no way, that's insensitive. How could he do that? Jesus would be unjust to command us to do something that we can't do. Now, this is an important point. I could stay here all night. I'm just going to mention this and go on. But you know what? There's a lot of people today saying that you can't live this way. That you've got to, you know, you, you need to embrace your humanity. You need to vent. You need to let this out. Quit trying to be this strong person. Well, there is a balance here again. You don't try and just be strong in yourself. You do need to recognize that you have limitations and that you as a person, I don't care if you're a strong guy, if you are one of these macho guys that can do everything on your own, I can guarantee you life is stronger than you are. Life will eventually beat beat you. Amen. We're all going to die unless Jesus comes back in our lifetime. There is an end to your strength. And you in yourself, yes, can't cope with everything. But the good news is we aren't just in ourselves. If you have been born again, you are a brand new person and God Almighty lives on the inside of you. And I really think that this is, this is the answer to um, you know those who criticize me and say, well, you're insensitive and you don't realize what I'm going through and what I'm feeling. I think that the answer is that yes, in the natural... In just your physical power, there are limitations. And sometimes you come to the end of yourself. And it's, in a sense, healthy to come to the end of yourself. I remember one of my very good friends, I won't call his name, but this, this is a guy I golf with all the time. And this guy came, we were holding a men's advance in our old building. And this guy came and, um, anyway, multiple things. He had financial problems. He was having some marriage problems and he had just had a physical problem where the doctor told him that he possibly was on the verge of a heart attack and that uh, they had to do all these things. And anyway, this guy came to see me right before I got up to minister. Matter of fact, I was supposed to be receiving the offering and I had to let somebody else receive the offering. And I went back into a room 
and talk with him. And he was just crying and telling me about how everything in his life, and he's tried and he's juggled and he's done everything he knew how, and he just failed. It didn't work. And he was crying and saying, what do I do? And I told him, I said, this is good. And he didn't quite see it that way. He says, well, how can you say this is good? And I said, because you are one of these guys that have been so talented and you do everything in yourself and you have not learned to rely upon the Lord. And what's happened is you just hit rock bottom. You have come to the end of yourself. And I said, it's good. Everybody needs to come to the end of themselves. Everybody needs to crash and burn, really, and come to a place where you realize that, God, it's not me. It's got to be you. And so I acknowledge that there is that part of us and we in ourselves can't do things and we have limitations. But then the thing that most people, I don't think, factor into this, that even though, yes, there is a part of us that is only human, in the Spirit, if you have been born again, you are now the righteousness of God. You have God Almighty living on the inside of you and you've got a set of emotions in the Spirit. Galatians 5, and 23 says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. You have that in your spirit. The whole time that you are depressed and discouraged in your emotions, your born-again spirit has never been depressed, never been defeated, never discouraged. The whole time that you're sitting down crying and talking about how terrible everything is, your spirit is basking in peace and love and joy. And I know some of you think, now, you're, you're wrong. I can guarantee you there is no joy in me. It's not in your soulish realm. And see, most of us only know ourselves in the soul. But in your born-again spirit, you are as Jesus is, is what it says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. As He is, so are we in this world. It didn't say, so are we going to be in the next world, so are we in this world. Your born-again spirit is identical to Jesus. It has His love, His joy, His peace. And because of this, see, you don't just come up against a problem and do everything that you can do in the natural and then just fall apart like a $2 suitcase and say, well, I'm only human. No, you aren't only human. There's one-third of you that is wall-to-wall Holy Ghost. And you have supernatural ability And if you will just sit there and say, I refuse to face these things as a human. I am a born-again human. I have a part of me that has God Almighty living on the inside. And praise God, I am going to live like I am supernatural. Like I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, there's a balance here. Yes, I recognize it in myself. I've got limitations. And in myself, there's times that I feel like quitting and giving up. But in Christ, I know who I am. And there have been times that I didn't feel like it. And yet I just go ahead and refuse to let my heart be troubled just because Jesus gave me a command to do it. Boy, that is really important. He would be unjust to command this if we couldn't do it. So he told his disciples not to let their heart be troubled. In the 16th chapter, the 14th, 15th, and 16th chapter of John were all spoken at one time. These are the words that he spoke to his disciples right after the Lord's Supper as they were going out to the Garden of Gethsemane. The 17th chapter is where Jesus prayed his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. So the 14th through the 17th chapter was all spoken in one evening. 
And part of this same message where he started off, the very first thing he said is, don't let your heart be troubled. Man, I could preach on this, but I'm just going to say this quickly. I think that there's a reason why he said this first. Is because if you allow your emotions to get out of bounds, if you allow them to run away, it's like, you know, I don't know if any of you have ever had much to do with horses, but if you allow a horse to run away with you, if you let it hit its full stride, did you know what? It's nearly impossible to rein that horse in. You're going to come off that horse. If a horse runs away with you, you pretty much uh, have had it. But you can stop a horse from getting started. And it's the same thing with your emotions. Once you get down and just allow your emotions to go, and once you allow grief, worry, trouble, sadness, and all of these kind of things to begin to have dominance in your life, it's nearly impossible to recover from that. And I base this on what Jesus is saying on a number of scriptures, but also I've dealt with a lot of people. And I've seen this, that like if a, if a person is given a doctor's report that you're going to die, and if you just get into terrible fear and unbelief and let your emotions go and you are just totally devastated, it takes a huge amount of effort to recover from that. But if you would just stand strong and when the diagnosis comes, when the first thing comes, if you just stand and deal with it right then, it is so much easier to stop it uh, from getting out of control than, than it is once you've allowed unbelief, fear, trouble, worry, care to go and try and rein it back in. Now, if you've already uh, blown it, amen, well, there is the Holy Spirit and you can overcome it. But I'm just saying it makes it much, much harder. And I think that this is the reason that the Lord said the very first thing, don't let your heart be troubled. And then he told them all kinds of things in here. There's a lot of instructions that he gave his disciples. But the very first thing is, don't let your heart be troubled. They were going to see him crucified. And he says, don't be troubled. Most of us would feel that's absolutely unreasonable. Most of us would think, man, if you weren't troubled seeing Jesus crucified, if you weren't heartbroken, something would be wrong with you. Because again, we think only as human beings. But God has placed Himself on the inside of us. And in this same passage, 14, 15, and 16, over in chapter 16, verse 1, He says, "...these things have I spoken unto you that you should not be offended." Now again, this is specifically talking about between the crucifixion and the resurrection. And you know, the scripture says that when they saw Jesus crucified, it says they all forsook him and fled. They were all offended. We talk about Peter and and it lists his three denials, but the scripture says that every one of his disciples forsook him and fled. They were all offended. And yet Jesus said, I'm saying these things so that you won't be offended. Jesus told his disciples what they needed to do in order to keep from having this crisis situation that they were about to go into overwhelm them. You know, there may be somebody here tonight who you aren't in a crisis situation. Maybe everything's going wonderful for you. You know, the disciples could have said that same thing when he was talking to them because everything was cool at the moment. But boy, within just hours, their world was going to come crashing down around them. And I can just promise you this. This is not a negative prophecy or a bad confession. We just live in a fallen world. (laughs) Amen. If you never bump into the devil, it's because you're both going the same direction. (laughs) 
I can guarantee you, Satan goes about seeking whom he may devour. And if you don't have a problem now, just keep your seatbelt on because you will experience some problems. Something is going to happen. And Jesus was telling his disciples, he says, I've spoken these things to you that you wouldn't be offended. And yet they were all offended. You know why? Because they didn't take heed according to his word. And again, most of us, we sit here and say, all right, I'm not going to be offended. As long as I have nothing worse than a headache. As long as it's just, you know, I, I'm not prospering as much as I want to, but it's really not bad. As long as it's not a, you know, something serious. What we do is basically put bounds here and say, as long as it's a hangnail, as long as it's minor, as long as it's not somebody that's close. But if it's somebody who really loves me who does something terrible to me, well then something would be wrong with me if I didn't just fall apart. See, we, just, we say that, yeah, minor things, I'm not going to let my heart be troubled. But Jesus didn't put that qualification on this. He just said, don't let your heart be troubled. I'm speaking these things to you that you wouldn't be offended. Even when you see me crucified, when you see me dead and buried. Again, most of us just think this is unreasonable. And Jesus told his disciples, I'm saying these things to you that you will not be offended. They could have, if they would have taken his word, and if they would have just said, you know, this looks terrible, and yet Jesus said, don't be offended. And if they would have let the Holy Spirit, there's five times in these three chapters that Jesus talked about the ministry of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit would do. And he actually told them, it's actually better for you that I'm leaving so that the Holy Spirit could come. If they would have believed his words, they could have looked at this and say, how could anything be better than having Jesus? And yet Jesus said it's actually going to be better for the Holy Spirit than to have him here. And if they would have believed his words, they could have kept from um, falling apart, from being offended, from being troubled during these three days period of time. It was possible. Jesus wouldn't have commanded it if it wasn't possible. It was possible. Not a one of them did it. But it was possible. Brothers, we do not have to let our heart be troubled. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to have all the worry and the care and all of the things that most of us have just embraced as a natural part of life. It doesn't have to be that way. We can cast our care over on the Lord and you can actually live a carefree life where all of your care is over on the Lord and you are rejoicing because of the promises of God. That can be done. All I'm doing right now is just saying it can be done. I'm not telling you how to do it. But you know what? This is important just for you to come to a place to realize that there is something better than what most of us are living. Most of us have just been brought up in a culture that promotes and embraces defeat. The Christian culture. The Christian culture talks about how that you just can't live a life of victory. You know, I'm, I'm ministering on healing right now. I'm doing a series on healing on uh, television. Not, it's not being aired, but I made 13 programs on it yesterday. And uh, I'm teaching on healing. And you know what? Most people consider the way I talk about walking in divine health and not getting sick as being radical. I was talking to my pastor. He, he did a series on healing and he took me out to eat and we talked about it because he knew that I was 
more radical in this area than he was, and he, he was trying to understand is, is very nice what he did. But anyway, um, basically he says, you're extreme. <laughs> and you know what? I'm not extreme. I believe that I'm just embracing what Jesus died to do. Healing is a part of our inheritance, and yet the average person doesn't see it that way. The average person thinks of being sick, taking medication for things, is just normal and natural. You only trust God for something that the doctors say that you can't do. And the average person is embracing sickness, expecting sickness. You confess things about, well, it's flu season, it's cold season, it's the time, you know, that the... Uh, pollen counts go up and you just and you embrace things that you shouldn't have. Well, I'm getting older and my eyesight can't last. Moses was 120 years old and his eyesight wasn't dim nor his natural force abated. Am I criticizing anybody that your eyesight is bad? No, I'm not. But I'm saying that, you know what? Jesus purchased total health for us. You don't have to have your eyesight fail. You don't have to have to start having prostate problems because you're whatever years old. We don't have to start having aches and pains and all of this kind of stuff. And yet, see, most people just think that's too extreme. It's too radical. And so they just don't go that far. They, they'll trust God for miraculous healings if, if it's something that the doctor can't cure. I tell you, we need to be more radical in what we are. If Jesus purchased this for us, we need to receive everything. And Jesus told his disciples, don't let your heart be troubled. He told his disciples, I'm saying these things so that you won't be offended. I'm telling you it's better that I go away and I'll send the Holy Spirit. He gave them all kinds of reasons and yet not a one of them took advantage of what Jesus gave them. And most of us would sit there and say, well, they couldn't have done anything else. Yes, they could have or Jesus wouldn't have said all of this. Jesus came to give us an abundant life. And one of the very first things, before I talk about how you can go ahead and appropriate this and start walking in the supernatural, one of the very first things that has to happen is we've got to raise our standards. We've got to quit being content with living below what God told us to do. And we've got to raise the bar and start shooting at something higher than what we've got. And I know that there's some people that when I talk this way, there's, but this condemns me. You're saying I'm not living up to everything that God has for me? Yep, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> you know what? You're never going to move on and you're never going to start seeing the power of God to a greater degree if you don't start believing for something more. And yet again, I'd say that the vast majority of people are, are spending huge amounts of time just trying to feel good about themselves right where they are. Don't rock the boat. Don't make me feel like I'm missing out on something. I just want to be content where I am. I believe that you should be content but not complacent. you got to get stirred up. There needs to be a goal out there. And I tell you, one of the things that causes so many problems in our life is just the fact that we are content to live at a substandard level. I mean, it's not something that's going to kill me right away. It's just a little pain so I can live with it. And so we just put up with it. You know what? If you got to where you fought a headache like cancer, 
I mean, you just do not tolerate a headache. You are not going to accept a headache because, man, Jesus died to redeem you from all sickness, every sickness and every disease. If you drew the line right there and says, I will not have headaches. I am not going to have allergies. I'm not going to sit here and let my eyes go bad. I am not going to have prostate problems or whatever it is that you're dealing with. If you were to draw the line right there, then when cancer knocks on the door, you know what? You would have already exercised your faith. You would be strong and you'd be able to deal with cancer. But many of us just embrace all types of sicknesses, weakness, failures, and stuff. And then when something big comes up that you can't handle, you start trying to believe God. And it's like a person who wants to lift 100 pounds and they had never lifted 5 pounds. you got to start somewhere. And we've just tolerated. We've embraced failure we look around and most of us draw our inspiration from how everybody else is. And we don't want to be as bad as those. But you know what? As long as we're just kind of in the middle, most people are just okay with being mediocre. Most people are shooting at nothing and hitting it every time. Don't rock the boat. Man, if you start telling me there's something more, well then I might get out and try something and fail. And you know, I believe that if we aren't stretching ourselves, we've already failed. God called us to be supernatural. If you aren't supernatural, you're superficial. And you know what I'm saying? Again, I say I understand that this unsettles you. It makes you think, you mean there's more? There's more to just getting up, going to work, coming home, watching TV. Going to bed, getting up, going to work, coming home, just the daily grind. Yes. And if you don't feel like your life is making a difference, if you aren't excited about what you're doing, if you hate your work, something needs to change. Either you need to change your attitude and get right with God, or possibly that's a Holy Ghost dissatisfaction trying to let you know that there's more than what you're experiencing. I know that it stirs you up. I know this isn't comfortable when I sit here and say that, man, we shouldn't let our heart be troubled because many of us think, I'm justified in my heart being troubled. You don't know what's happened to me. I'd stack whatever's happening to you up against what happened to these 12 disciples during this period of time. And I guarantee you, Jesus told them that they could keep their heart from being troubled. If He told it to them, you can too. And regardless of how justified you feel in falling apart, and being ineffective and going around with a sadness and a discouragement or whatever in your heart, I'm telling you, it's wrong. Maybe if you say, but you're, you're forgetting that I'm human. Well, you're forgetting that you, there's a part of you that is wall-to-wall Holy Ghost. You're forgetting that God Almighty lives on the inside of you and whatever the problem is, He's already got a promise that is greater than your problem. Amen. Whatever the need is, God's supply is greater than your need. And so... I believe that we need to come to grips with this. Man, he said, don't let your heart be troubled. It's up to you. Somebody says, well, I've been praying and asking God to help me. He didn't say that pray unto me and, help, and I, let me come and touch you. No, he says, you let not your heart be troubled. You have the ability to calm yourself and to keep your mind stayed on God. You can do it or Jesus would not have commanded us to do it. 
You know, at the very end, I know I'm not going to get through all three of these chapters, so let me just go over and take a nugget here from the 16th chapter in verse 33. He says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. Now again, the context of this is the night before his crucifixion. And he says, I've spoken these things to you so that you might have peace. Most people would say, this is absolutely ludicrous. How in the world could they have peace seeing Jesus crucified? Jesus said, I've spoken these words so that you could have peace. If they would have been in faith, if they would have allowed the Holy Spirit to bring back to their remembrance the prophecies that I'm going to rise again, if they would have allowed the Holy Spirit to have His full work in their life, and if they would have taken these words, they could have had peace during a time that in every natural way they should have been upset, they should have been hurt, and yet Jesus said, I've spoken these words to you that you might have peace. Brothers, I'm telling you, I know many of you are saying, you don't know what my situation is. You don't know what my wife has done. You don't know what my kids have done. You don't know what my boss is threatening to do. You don't understand this and that. I'm saying Jesus spoke these words to his disciples so that they could have peace. And you can have peace in the midst of whatever it is that's going on in your life. The supply is there. It's not God who's not meeting the need. It's us who isn't receiving it. And one of the reasons we don't receive it is because we don't even think that this is possible. We don't even have this as a goal. Most of us expect to go through mountaintops and valleys. In our religion, we write songs about it, about how you're up on the mountaintop, but it's down in the valleys where you grow and all of this stuff. And we, we encourage people to peak, go up and down and have these bad times. And you make people feel like something's wrong with you if you, if you don't do it. You know, I was ministering in Stryker, Ohio one time, and I had a girl come up to me. She's about 23 years old. And I was ministering something along these lines. And she came up and thanked me, and she says, Thank you so much for sharing this. Because she said, When I was 14 years old, I got born again. And when she got born again, she went to her parents and told them that the grandfather who lived in the house with them had sexually... Uh, molested her every single day of her life for the last five or six years. And when she got born again, she just got set free and she thought that she'd tell her parents what was going on. The parents got so mad that, of course, they kicked the father out. I'm not sure if they did any legal stuff, but they kicked him out of the house. They never talked to him again. But she had just gotten born again and she was set free and she wasn't bitter at her grandfather, she forgave him. And she loved him. And she never, she, she wasn't bitter over it. And so they took her to counseling. And the counselor started telling her, you're in denial. And you aren't facing facts. And anyway, because she wouldn't get mad because she wouldn't be bitter, the parents put pressure on her. And when she was 16, they kicked her out of the house because she was in denial. And this girl, from the time that she was 14 until at that time, which was about 22, 23 years old or something, she said her parents wouldn't talk to her because they said, something's wrong with you. You should have problems. And you're saying you aren't bitter. You aren't hurt. You don't have anything. You're in denial. And so her parents had rejected her because she wasn't limping through life like they expected her to. 
They didn't believe that Jesus could just totally set her free. And she came up with tears in her eyes and she says, you are the first person I've met that talks about that Jesus could literally set you free and that you don't have to have all of these problems. I'm telling you, brothers, there's a lot of people in here. I don't know any of this in, by the natural. But I'm telling you, there are some of you in here that the reason you have such an emotional problem and the reason you're bothered so much is because you were told that this is what you should be, this is how it should be. You have only used the natural realm. You have nurtured your hurts and pains instead of letting Jesus set you free. My dad died when I was 12 years old. He was in a coma for months before that when I was 11 years old. Did you know according to everything that the psychiatrists tell you, I should be weird and there's plenty of people that think I am weird. (laughs) But you know, before my mother died this last year, she told me, she says, you know what, you have never given me a moment's problem. She says, you never rebelled. You never disrespected me. I grew up loving God, loving my mother Loving people, I wasn't perfect. I was a kid, but you know what? I didn't rebel. I didn't do all of this. I didn't have all of these things. I didn't have bitterness. You do not have to be that way. And yet most people will tell you that, boy, if you grew up without a dad, well, and there, again, nobody's told me anything. So if this hits you, blame it on God, not me. But there are some of you that for 10, 20 years have been nursing this attitude and these hurts and these pains because you were mistreated and this happened and that happened and you have allowed the devil to take these things and keep you ensnared and trapped over things that happened 10 and 20 years ago. It's over. Pull your thumb out of your mouth. Grow up. Take responsibility and recognize that, you know what, maybe I did, maybe you had something happen to you that didn't happen to me, but man, you've got Jesus on your side. Jesus has died to set you free from it, and He's telling you, get over it. He's telling you that you can draw on who you are in Christ, and you can quit looking at yourself as, well, I was a failure in this way, and I'll never amount to anything, and you don't understand, I was sexually abused, and I had this, and I had that. It's over. And Jesus' supply is greater than your need. Quit nurturing it. Quit using these things as an excuse. I know some of you are really not pleased right now. But I'm saying this in love. I'm not trying to be mean to anybody. But see, if, if, you, if you feel like a victim, it's because you have empowered this person or this thing or this situation and you say it's bigger than me, I can't overcome it. I'm saying that Jesus is bigger than anything that has come against any of you. And it doesn't matter what anybody else says. It doesn't matter what has happened to you or what anybody else says. Jesus says that He loves you. Jesus says that He'll never forsake you. Jesus says that no weapon that is formed against you is going to prosper. And every tongue that rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is of me, thus saith the Lord. That's Isaiah 54, 17. Notice it says that you have to condemn these weapons. It didn't just say that no weapon formed against you will not prosper, period. No, you've got to rise up and take your place and condemn it. Speak against it. Cancel it. 
and saying the name of Jesus. He that's on the inside of me is greater than this situation and I refuse to allow this thing to trouble my heart. I refuse to allow this thing to get on the inside of me. You can do it. I'm not condemning you if you haven't done it. But I'm trying to encourage you and bring you up and let you know that just like Jesus told His disciples to do something that most people would consider, this is impossible. It's unreasonable. Don't don't tell anybody that. There are people that would sit here and just let me have it tonight because I'm sitting here encouraging people that it doesn't matter what's happened. It doesn't matter what has happened to you. You can overcome it. And there's a lot of people that would come against me and talk about how I'm insensitive. And yet this is exactly what Jesus was doing to His disciples. I'm not saying that problems don't happen. I'm not saying that people don't have problems. But I'm saying that Jesus has anticipated every problem that could ever happen to any person in the human race. And He has already dealt with it. He's already forgiven it. He's healed it. There is an anointing. If you are born again... There is an anointing that is available to you that is greater than whatever the problem is that's come against you. The supply is greater than the need. And there is no justification. There is no excuse for us limping through life because of things that have happened in our past. There are reasons, but there are no excuses. Thank you for that one. Amen, brother. He's on staff. <laughs> but you would have said amen anyway, wouldn't you? But I tell you, before we can talk about art, right, so how do we get out of this? How do we start letting our heart not be troubled? The very first thing is you've got to realize that this is not an unreasonable demand. You've got to understand that this is not only doable, it's the high road. It's the better way to live. You can do it. We've got to take back our authority. You know, this humanistic world that we live in has influenced the church, I believe, more than the church has influenced the world. There is a lot of ungodly attitudes from the world that have crept into the church. And one of them is that, you know, we are just nothing special. Outside of the church in the world, all we are is an evolved animal. I think this is why evolution is so popular to people. You know, the scripture says in uh, Psalms chapter 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day, utter His speech. That word utter means to gush forth. Day unto day, every single day is just screaming at people that there is a God. Night unto night shows knowledge. There is no tongue or language where their voice hasn't been heard. Did you know if you look at a blade of grass, mankind collectively with all of our ability, billions, trillions of dollars, you take the whole resources of the entire world and put it together and man can't make a blade of grass. They can make something that looks like it, but it won't grow and it won't reproduce and sprout and produce another blade of grass. Man and all of his ability can't do that and yet we see billions of blades of grass. We see the sunrise, the stars... 
the trees, people. And people aren't sure if there's a God. Man, all of these things are speaking out to us constantly. And yet people are embracing this thing that we just happened, that we evolved from slime. It defies logic. You know, if you were to, if you were to be an astronaut and if you went to the moon and you got out and as you were walking over a rise, if you found a house built on the moon... Don't you think that would mean that somebody had been there? Houses don't grow. They don't evolve. If it had doors and windows, I guarantee you would be an absolute idiot if you didn't think that there had been a person on the moon sometime or another. And yet, look at the world. Look at the body. Look at your finger. Man can't create that and, and they aren't sure that there's a God. They think that this just all happened. You would think a person, an absolute idiot, to walk and find a house and think that this just happened and yet they think that all of this just happened. Man, that defies logic. I think that the reason people have embraced evolution, it's a religion. They have to choose to believe it. And you know what their motivation is? Because if all I am is an evolved dog, then it, it gives me an excuse to live like a dog. It gives me an excuse to have the morals of a dog. It gives me an excuse to explain away why I can't cope with this and why I'm this and why I'm that. Because there is nothing on the inside of me that is God-breathed. I'm just a hunk of chemicals. And so if this happens, I've got to fall apart like a $2 suitcase. If this person spits in my face, I can't go ahead and overcome that. I can't deal with this. And, it, and it's popular because it's an excuse. It's an escape. It's a cop-out. It allows us that all we are is an evolved animal. And you know what? Most Christians wouldn't sit there and embrace some of the things of evolution, but we've taken some of the same things that we are just... We, we don't see that we're made in the image of God. We've bought the lie that we're just substandard, that you can't cope with life, that it's normal to have a midlife crisis. It's normal to just peak and valley, and it's normal to do all of these things that the Bible says are abnormal. Most people are not using the Word of God as a standard. They're just looking around at the world and kind of taking an average, and this is kind of what they expect, and you know, I, I got all kinds of hurts and pains. And yeah, I take 20 medications, but they aren't big things. They're just little things. And you're just living so far below the standards. God loves you. You can take 30 medications. He doesn't care. I don't care. I'm just telling you that God has provided something more. Why don't we take advantage of what He's given us? Why don't we live up to the full potential? Man, the Lord went to tremendous expense to send His Son and to die, not only to set us free from our sins, but so that we could have an abundant life, so that we could walk in hell, so that we could walk in prosperity, so that we could be above only and not beneath, so that we could lend and never have to borrow. That's part of the blessing. 
Blessed going out, blessed coming in, blessed in our basket, blessed in our store, abundance in every area. And the average Christian doesn't even have that as a goal. They have accepted it that, you know, I'm just average. But you've got God Almighty living on the inside of you. You're supernatural. You ought to expect supernatural results. We ought to be believing for more than a person that doesn't have God on the inside of him. Jesus is saying, don't let your heart be troubled. To people that were entering into a greater crisis than any of us, and if that applied to them, and if he said, I've spoken these things so you won't be offended, I've spoken these things so that you can have peace, if he told them that, well, then we don't have a good excuse for falling apart during the pressures of the world. You know, another thing that goes right along with this is people will say, but oh, things are worse today than they've ever been. We love to talk about the pressures of modern day life and how things are so bad. The scripture says that there's nothing new under the sun. That which has been is that which will be. The wisest man on the earth said that. It's another cop out. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God will, with the temptation, make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. It says there's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. When you say, oh, we've got pressures today that nobody else has known. You know what you're saying? My situation is an exception. What has worked for other people won't work for me. My situation is harder. Therefore, it's justifiable that I'm not victorious. You may not have sat down and analyzed it, but that's why everybody loves to amplify and talk about how bad their situation is. You know, I travel and I go to churches and I have been, I couldn't tell you, but I I don't think it's an exaggeration to say I've been to a hundred places in the United States that claim more demonic activity than any other place in the world. And that can't be true of a hundred different locations. And yet I've been to... And everybody, everybody thinks their situation is harder than somebody else's. You know why that seems attractive? Because if you are in such a hard situation, then that justifies and explains why you're ineffective. It's a cop-out. That's why everybody loves to talk about nobody knows the trouble I feel. Nobody knows my sorrow, and yet there's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. We aren't in greater stress today. You know what the real problem is? We got a greater vacuum on the inside than previous generations. We're trivial. We don't have the depth and the maturity of a lot of other people. Our situation is not worse. I've heard people talk about all oh, the young people today have so they have it so much harder than we did. That's not true. That's just not true. You know, a friend of mine over in England, they got when he was like, well, how old? Seven or eight years old. They evacuated all the kids out of the major cities of England and put them in, in pastures in tents, a hundred at a 
time. Just a hundred kids together with a couple of adults that would come feed them and check in on them. And they lived that way for years during the bombing of London and England. You know what that is? That's pressure. That's stress, being taken away from your family, not knowing if they're alive, just living in tents with other kids, no adult supervision. Can you imagine all of the things that went on? That's pressure. But being stressed out because you don't have the shoes that when you walk, they light up and all of your friends do. I just don't know if I can survive. That's not pressure. You don't have the designer jeans and you don't have the latest PlayStation 3 and so you're neglected because of it. That's not pressure unless you're a person that has misplaced values. Man, this is a lie. But see, I'm just saying, I'm saying all the things I'm saying tonight to basically say that through every one of these things I've mentioned, through all of this stuff, the world has come and basically taught us that, oh yeah, Jesus is there And he has power, but my situation is worse than anybody else's. It's unreasonable. I should be falling apart. I should have problems. Something's wrong with me if I'm not having all of these things. And so we have lowered the standard to where we aren't even shooting for. We aren't even pursuing an abundant life, thinking that it's unobtainable and that something's wrong with you. If you profess that you're going to live in in abundance and victory and joy and peace. I'm saying something's wrong with that. Jesus told his disciples not to let their heart be troubled and I believe that we can do it. And that's what I'm shooting for. I'm not saying I do it perfectly, but you know what? I'm working on it. And I have overcome things that I guarantee in the natural it would have crushed me. When my son died... You know what? I felt grief and sorrow and fear and everything that anybody else would feel. I felt those things. You know, my own kids have come to me when I've talked about, you know, there was times that I just had the pressures of the ministry and the finances. It was like it was crushing. And I remember one time in my pickup just thinking, I wonder where this road goes. I wonder if I could just drive off and leave leave my family, my kids, my ministry, and just go somewhere and live and nobody knows me. I've had those thoughts and I was telling I was saying something about that and my kids' jaw hit the floor. Like you thought that? I've thought the same things that anybody thinks. I've had the same feelings that anybody thinks. When my son died, I guarantee you, I didn't want to rejoice. I didn't feel like praising God. But you know, this is one of the verses that came to me. Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And I felt like crying. And yet I just determined, praise God, I am not going to let my heart be troubled. See, most people say, but if, if your son dies, you should... No, the Bible says don't let your heart be troubled. And you know what? As we drove into Colorado Springs, I just made a decision that, praise God, I am going to worship God. I am not going to let my heart be troubled. And I started worshiping God and saying, God, it's not your fault. You did not kill my son. And I said, if he doesn't come back to life, I want you to know I'm going to serve you. I'm going to be, I'm going to, it's not your fault. I'm not going to get mad at you. 
I said, you are a good God. You did not kill my son. And I just started worshiping him and praise God. My son came back from the dead after being dead for five hours. And he's alive. And I've got a granddaughter that was born the next year that wouldn't have been here if he hadn't have come back. And you know what? I'm just saying that I really believe that if I would have let my emotions get out and overwhelm me and then start trying to work my way back into faith, I don't think I'd have my youngest son with me today. This is important. And brothers, I'm just saying that we need to start drawing on the supernatural power of God on the inside of us and quit acting like we're only human. I'm not only human. You aren't only human. One third of you is wall to wall the Holy Ghost. One third of you is power of God. And we need to draw on that and we need to encourage ourselves. David had to encourage himself in the Lord because nobody else was believing God. So he encouraged himself. You know, when my son died, nobody else was encouraging me. I had to encourage myself. You can do it. I don't think I ever finished reading this verse. John 16, says, These things have I spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace. And then the rest of the verse says, In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now see, just in case anybody was thinking, oh, Jesus really didn't anticipate the problems that they were going to have. He was talking about until things go bad, you need to not let your heart be troubled. He said right here, you are going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. In the same verse, he showed that this being of good cheer and keeping yourself encouraged instead of troubled and sad is something that you can do in the midst of having tribulation in the midst of your problem, you can encourage yourself in the Lord. You can choose to rejoice. You know, in the book of Philippians, there are 17 times that, the, that Paul talked about rejoice, rejoicing, rejoiceth. He used the word 17 times in four chapters. It was the most joy, the most uh, praise of any of his writings, and he was writing from prison facing death, and he talked about all of these things. And you know, he didn't use the word joy. He may have a couple of times, but I'm saying 17 times he used rejoice and stuff. And the the difference is joy is a noun. It's a person, place, or thing. It's something that you have. But the word rejoice is not a noun. It's a verb. It's something that you do. So you know what? Whether you have joy or not, you can rejoice. Whether you feel like it or not, you can go ahead and do what I did. When I first started praising God, driving into Colorado Springs after hearing that my son had been dead for four hours, I didn't have joy. I had it in my spirit, but I couldn't discern it in my emotions. But you know what? I knew that I could still go ahead and rejoice. And I started rejoicing and praising God, and walking in what He told me to do. And I mean, it's just like priming a pump. And you know, if you'll start just doing what God told you to do. Some people say, well, I'd be a hypocrite if I did that. Well, it depends on who you consider you are. 
If you think that that part of you that you see in the mirror and your emotional part, if you think that that's you, well then yeah, you're hypocritical to act contrary to it. But if you see yourself as a new person in Christ, that the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. That's what's in your spirit at all times. If that's the real you, then you are a hypocrite to be depressed and discouraged when the truth is in your born-again spirit, you're rejoicing and praising God. So if you're saying, I couldn't sit there and act like and just rejoice if I didn't feel joy, I'd be a hypocrite. Well, then that shows you've got an identity problem. You think that carnal part of you, the outward part of you is the real you. But there is a new you on the inside that most people don't really know. And that real you is victorious. That real you has the same faith in it that Jesus had. You've got the same quantity and quality of faith that Jesus had in your spirit. If you aren't feeling that, if you can't see it manifest, it's because you hadn't drawn it out yet. But I can guarantee you, based on the authority of God's Word, that as Jesus is, so are you right here in this world in your spirit. Do you think Jesus would respond the way that you're responding? Do you think Jesus would do what you're doing? And if you, if you say, well, no, well, then it's because you aren't abiding in Him. You aren't drawing on who you are in Him. I'm not saying any of these things to condemn anybody, but rather to raise the standard to let us know that, praise God, we don't have to be only human. We don't have to sit here and just deal with things as a mere human and cry out to God as a beggar and, oh, God, you do something. God's telling you to do something. He says, I've already placed myself on the inside of you. You got the same power, the authority that I've got. Now you stand up and take charge and speak to your problems. Rise up on the inside. You can do it. I mean this to be encouraging. It may not be encouraging you. But sometimes you got to be terrified before you get edified. Sometimes, you know, the doctor has to come and tell you how bad it is before you get motivated to change something and do anything different. I'm just telling you, brothers, that the way that we have lived and the, the standard that we've embraced and what we consider to be normal is subnormal. And God has enabled us to do something greater. And so the rest of my time this week, I'm going to be talking about, all right, how do you do this? And there's some really practical things that I think will help you. But the first step is, as long as you think that living uh, what people call normal life is acceptable, you'll never change. You've got to become dissatisfied with being normal. You've got to get dissatisfied with just being like everybody else. The Bible says we're alive. Those that don't know Jesus are dead. There ought to be a difference between a live and a dead person. People ought to look at you and say, what makes you different? Can people actually look at you and tell that there is something different about you? You didn't panic when the recession hit. You didn't talk about all this stuff. Instead of you losing everything, you continued to increase. 
Everybody else is afraid of the swine flu and talking about sickness and disease and it didn't bother you. Everybody else is bothered about all of this stuff. How come you aren't the same? There ought to be a difference between us and unbelievers. And there is if you're truly born again. But the reason it doesn't show is because many of us have just bought the lie that we we can't experience an abundant life. There's some of you that probably think, well, I'm not a minister like you. I'm just a worker. And therefore, I can't experience miraculous things. And the Bible says in John 14, 12, Jesus said, Verily, verily. That means truly, truly. He had to say, this is the truth. This is the truth twice because he knew people weren't going to accept this and believe it. So he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believes on me the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my Father. He didn't say that that's just for preachers. This is for Joe Blow Believer. This is for every born-again believer. You are supposed to be doing the works that Jesus did. What did you... And somebody says, well, what are the greater works? Forget the greater works for the moment. Just focus on this phrase right here. And until you get to where you do all of the works that Jesus did, don't even worry about the greater ones. Amen. What did Jesus do? Jesus healed the sick, cleansed the leper, raised the dead, cast out devils, walked on water, had his needs supplied supernaturally. When people came out against him and persecuted him, it didn't faze him. He turned around, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They tried to kill him, and he just walked right through the middle of them, and they couldn't touch him. Jesus was on top of things. He said, if you are a believer, you'll do the same things. Somebody, well, I haven't done it. Well, obviously, you aren't a believer. You might be born again, but you're a disbelieving believer. Again, I'm not saying this to condemn us, but I'm saying it to motivate us that God has provided more for us than what we're living. And we've built up elaborate systems of excuses about why we're so ineffective. My dysfunctional family. We all had dysfunctional families. It just depends on how you define that. Man, every family had some weird things go on, amen? My brother tried to kill me a few times. I guess today that would be considered dysfunctional. It was just normal back when I was a kid. (laughs) We just have all of these excuses about why we're ineffective. I'm trying to take away our excuses. And when you strip these things away, it kind of leaves you naked and... You feel shame and embarrassment, but you know what? If you're going to change clothes, you're going to have to take off those old ones. You're going to have to get rid of the stuff that you've been using to cover your shame. You're going to have to start getting, you get rid of all of this stuff before we can clothe ourselves with what Jesus has provided. Man, God wants us to be doing miracles. God wants you to be supernatural. Jesus would walk into a room and the demons would start crying out just by His presence. Did you know that every one of you have that same anointing on you? But it doesn't come out unless you believe, unless you release it. It doesn't happen accidentally. You know, there's an actual recorded instance where Charles Finney, who was preaching a revival 
in the town, walked into a factory where there was thousands of workers. And he walked inside the factory and just stood in a corner like this. Didn't say a word. Just stood there. And pretty soon, people got to weeping and crying. They came under conviction. And the owner of the factory couldn't understand what was going on. And he was trying to figure out. And then he saw Finney standing over in the corner. And he put it together and realized. And he says, all right, I'll give you 30 minutes. You preach and get these people set free so they can go back to work. And he preached and got them born again. But you know what? He just walked in. And his presence began to convict people because of the power and the anointing of God. That's not something that's only for a few people. It, Jesus said, the works that I do. Jesus did the same thing. He would go into a synagogue and the demons would begin to start crying out. Things would happen. Brothers, you have the same power. We have this anointing. We just aren't drawing on what God has given us. We're sitting there thuck, sucking our thumb, nursing our wounds, talking about how bad it is, trying to... Uh, Comfort ourselves with everybody's as defeated as I am. I'm telling you, Jesus has something better for you. He wants us to step up to the plate. He's not mad at you. I'm not mad at you. I'm saying these things just trying to be strong with you and get across the point that we are living below our standards, our, our, our uh, privileges. And that, praise God, before anything changes, Jesus hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's not Jesus that needs to change. It's not Him that needs to start moving in our lives and doing something new. We don't need a new wave of God. We don't need God to do a new thing. We need people to start stepping up and doing what He told us to do. And not let our heart be troubled and take charge of our life and begin to act like a man. Begin to stand up and say, I refuse to crumble. I refuse to let things dominate me. You can do it. You can do it. And you know, I got in big trouble a week or so ago for saying this on television. I had somebody castigate me over an email. But there has been a feminization of our society... And it's affected men. And we don't have a lot of guys that will just stand up and say, you know what, I am going to overcome. I'm going to fight this. I'm not going to sit there. We have gotten people now to where we're all sensitive and in touch with our feelings. And in a fetal position over in the corner. And you know what, we need to stand up and act like men. And we need to say, I don't care. Bible says, I'll bless the Lord at all times. And if that's what it says, then I'm going to bless the Lord at all times. I don't care how I feel. Amen. You can do it. You know, I had a really bad situation happen one time. David Hardesty, this is before he worked for us. He heard it on Paul Harvey's news broadcast. It made the wor worldwide deal really bad. And I came in to teach in school. And my staff met me at the door. You can't minister. We heard about what happened. I said, why can't I minister? 
you're bound to be hurt. It's bound to be terrible. I said, look, I'm not going to tell them about what I feel. I'm going to tell them about who Jesus is. Amen. And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I got up and ministered four hours in school just like I would have done if everything would have been perfect. And you know what? I had a lot of people think something's wrong. You aren't normal. It just depends on who you consider to be normal. Consider depends on what you're using as a standard. I'm not denying that I had some feelings and emotions, but you know what? I denied them to dominate me and keep me from doing something. Amen? So anyway, I meant to go further than this tonight, but I think it's really good. Until we get to where we are dissatisfied with living a substandard life, you aren't going to change. As long as you are content to stay the way you are, you will. The first step is you've got to get to a place where, you know what, I'm not going to live like this. I believe I can do better. I believe that God's power is on the inside of me and praise God, I am not going to let my heart be troubled. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to start living a victorious life and you've got to start expecting more and moving in that direction. The things of God don't happen accidentally. They don't happen automatically. You have to pursue them. You have to believe. You have to stand against the attacks of the devil. And I can guarantee you, even though we're going to spend a whole weekend talking about this and trying to build you up, and I'm sure that John and David are going to say things that will bless you, and this is going to be a healthy place, you know what? You're going to have to leave. And you're going to have to go home. And Satan is going to try and steal the word. And unless you just take some authority and stand up and say, I am not going to let go of this until you get to where you resist... It's not going to change. You got to fight this. Amen? You ready? I'm ready? I think this brother's ready. What do you need? Almost two years ago, I hit a deer on a motorcycle at about 70 miles an hour. It's not doing body good. I bet it didn't do that deer much good either. <laughs> Come up here. Let's pray with you. Praise God. So what's the problem? When I hit the deer, my 840-pound motorcycle landed on my right leg. And since then, the cartilage in my 